You ever heard a, overheard a conversation? Or you just kind of walk up in a group of people that you know, and, and as soon as you get near them, they stop and look at you? You're thinking, what are they thinking about me, you know? And you really want to know what they're thinking. Well, God wants us to know what he's thinking. What a great way to start a new year by understanding exactly what God thinks of us. It's an essential thing to bring into the new year, is it not? To have that knowledge settled deep in our hearts. From that we can look forward to the new year and the plans that we have made and the plans that we haven't made (laughs) and all the things that happen. So, with that in mind, I want to take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's there in your bulletins. But before I read that scripture, I want to set the scene for you. Because Peter drew these words from a very dramatic part of the history of the people of Israel. It was while they were in the desert, traveling around, and they had come to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses had been up there for a while, and he had come down. And Moses, or God said to, his, to Moses, he, I want to tell you this to your people, but... Let me set it a little bit more deeply, because what was going on there, these people who were in the desert had seen God escort them out of Egypt by the plagues that he had done, and as they escaped from Egypt, they saw Pharaoh's army coming behind them and about to destroy them, and they were blocked up by the Red Sea. God parted the waters of the Red Sea. All two million people marched through that Red Sea dry as a bone, and as they completed that, they watched Pharaoh's army come chasing after them down that channel, and the water completely covered them. And they were set free. Miriam sang a song about that, the freedom that they had, had released from the oppression of Israel. And so as they went through, they had some challenges. They were thirsty, and God provided water. They were hungry. God provided the manna that just showed up miraculously every morning that they could pick, and quail so they could have some meat. And then... Here they stand with all of that in their minds at the bottom of Mount Sinai and they see the top of the mountain shaking and covered with clouds. I picked that picture because it's as close as I could think and smoking and they were told not to even touch that mountain lest they die. And so here they are in that context And God says to Moses, this is what I want you to say to my people. He says this, you yourselves have seen what I I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the context for this passage that we are going to study. Because Peter took those words and planted them right here for all New Testament people to hear and understand. And so now, let's read what Peter says to us by God's inspiration. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. This day, the last day of 2017, we come to you, O oh God. We want to know what you think of us. Will you, by your spirit, grant us that privilege, that honor? And as you speak these things to us, will you give us grace, humility to receive them for ourselves? And to lay all of our trust in you because you are worthy. We pray, our Father, that you would not allow me to get in the way of my, because of my brokenness and sinfulness, that I would not be an impediment to what you want to bring to these people, but you, Father, would speak directly to each one of us by your word and through your spirit. We pray that now in Jesus' name. So our sermon in the sentence today is... Even though God knows all your inner turmoil, he, is still, he still delights in you. That's what I want you to carry into the new year. What's what God wants you to carry into the new year. Even though God knows all your inner turmoil, he still delights in you. So, let's start. The first description Peter gave us was a chosen people. Now, when I think about that, I think about these uh, competitions that we have in, in, um, on the TV, and one of our favorites is, my, Carol's in mind, is So You Think You Can Dance. And these gather thousands and thousands of people all across the country, and literally some people have moved to the United States so they can be a part of this competition. And they, are, they come together, they have been screened, and eventually it gets down to one person. After weeks and weeks of dancing with choreography that's outstanding, that's why we like it so much, one person out of all these thousands of people is declared to be America's most favorite dancer. This guy happens to be Robert. He was there a few years ago. I can't imagine what it would feel like after years and years of training and then after months and months of auditions and appearances on TV and dancing for crowds, that you, out of all those people, get selected. Ha! He is the most favorite dancer in America. But that's what God is saying to his people Israel. He says, out of all the nations, and even though the whole world is mine, I choose you to be my people. And so Peter takes that language right here and gives it to everyone in the New Testament as we believe, he says, yes, I chose you. Now, we have to be careful when we think about a chosen people. Is it one people? Because back in the Old Testament, it was one nation of people, one race of people, the, the Hebrews. Does that extend over to the New Testament? Is there only one? Well, no. <laughs> Thankfully not. Let's look at the end of time when all those who have been called into Jesus' presence by his grace and by the work he's done for us on the cross, this is what happens in Revelation at the Supper of the Lamb. 
After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So what is the chosen people? It is the people that God has drawn to himself from every tribe, every language, every race, every, every part of this world. He's drawn them all to himself. And we are the one, the chosen people. That's who God has called us to be. And that extends, that invitation extends to anybody, no matter who they are, where they are, what their background is. That is a hallelujah. <laughs> he is so good to do that for us. The second description that Peter gives that God actually gave to the people of Israel and now to us is a royal priesthood. You know, some people have pl- uh, places of power and um, people who have access to that power. One of the most powerful places on this planet is the White House. So what would you think if you got a letter from the White House saying, would you please come to the Oval Office at this time and, and um, would you, I would like to just sit down and talk with you to tell you about the things I'm thinking about and listen to your input. Now, because of the current uh, political climate, maybe you want to think uh, it could be this present president or maybe others in the past that you would think, okay, I would love to go talk with that person and, and have him hear me and me to hear him. Well, for us, that would be a special time. I mean, you would probably get, your, get a new dress and a new suit, and you'd come all gussied up, and here you are standing nervous, and here's this man who holds so much power. But you know, he, he has a press secretary who has access to him every day, and probably multiple times a day on some big news days, and they talk about things and how to, how to express them and how to tell people about them. That's amazing closeness to a powerful position. But when God says, you are my royal priests, he gives us immediate 24-7 access to himself because of the Holy Spirit. We have ability to hear from God what he says to us, to talk to him about what we need, and to receive that kind of sense of closeness and power to the, not just the President of the United States, but to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the sovereign, the mighty, the awesome God. That's who we have access to every day, every minute of every day. We are royal priests if we believe in Jesus Christ. The next thing he talks about there is a holy nation. Now, holy in this sense, actually mostly throughout Scripture, it talks about something that is set apart for a special purpose. And when he told this to the people of Israel, he tells us now, he says, I have a special purpose for you. And it fits you so right, so perfectly, that you will just revel in that and you will enjoy your life because you follow in the thing that I have designed and fitted just for you. When I think about that, I think about my wedding to Carol 16 years ago. When they were preparing, they meaning her mom and her, her mom found Carol's great-grandmother's wedding dress in the attic, and it was still intact. So Carol slipped it on. It fit her perfectly, perfectly. Now they had to cut, you know, touch a little few things up, but that 
dress was set aside for a special purpose. The purpose was to be for her grandmother's wedding dress and then 109 years later for Carol to wear as she walked down the aisle and we made our vows together. That's how beautifully and closely God sets us apart and gives us a place to be in his greater story. It's just right, fits us perfectly as it has been, not just for 109 years, but since before the creation of the world. That's the privilege that we have. And then he says we are God's special possession. That means out of all the the earth, he has called us to him and he treasures us more than anyone else. And as I think about that, I think about people who are in the antique business, especially the antique car business, and how hard they work to refurbish a car, buying new parts for it, finding original parts to buy for it, furb- you know, shining them up, painting it in, in, with the interior, probably re-upholstering uh, all, all the seats and so on. And why do they do that? Because they drive them to a show like this, an antique car show, and they want people to circle around that, and they kind of stand by just quietly listening. And, uh-huh. well, I wonder who did this. I did this. Right? I did this. I want you to see this so you can understand my skills as a restorer. I have poured thousands of hours and thousands of dollars into this so that you can appreciate that. And so God says, you're my special possession. I have poured out my love to you, on you. I have shown you my love. And because of that, you get the privilege of being a part of my demonstration as my skill as a, as, a, as a restorer. That's who he's called us to be. So we are his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, and his special possession. And if you're like me, you think, wow, that's a little bit much, don't you think? I mean, you know, I know me and I know the brokenness that's inside me. That just sounds too good to be true. No way do I deserve those honors. That's how I feel. But you know what? God knows that too. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 9 of 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you see, when he puts all these incredible privileges for us and calls us his his special possession, he knows exactly who we are. He knows that if if he hadn't drawn us out of darkness, we would be lost for sure. And just to be sure that we get this message, he gives us a clue to the depths that we know everybody may fall and how he pulls us back from that. And then these are these words here. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's what he's talking about. You know, a a lot of uh, contemporaries of Peter thought he was an uneducated man. He really didn't know the scriptures well, but oh boy, did he ever. Because in the first few words of this two verse, passage, he talked about Sinai. This is 
a pointer to one of the most dramatic and beautiful love stories in all of the Old Testament. Started out with a young man who was doing very well for himself. He lived in Damascus. He was a merchant, and um, he had pretty significant possessions. And God came to him and said to him one day, I want you to get married. Man, that's cool, you know. God says, I want you to get married, and I have the exact person that I want you to marry. Isn't that awesome that God would set that all up? And then he told him who he wanted to marry. A young lady by the name of Gomer. Yeah, I know, Gomer Pyle, but that's not the same guy. <laughs> Gomer. And she's a prostitute. So, I mean, that had to stagger him incredibly. He was thinking of this one special person that would be his that from that point on and forever. But God says, I want you to marry Gomer. Because he wanted to give a message to Israel. So they got married, and in a reasonable amount of time, she had her first child. His name was Jezreel, which means God's planting. So I can see Hosea, that's the young man's name, I can see him saying, this is my child, this is God's seed, this is my child, Jezreel. And then a little while later, they had another child, a little girl this time. And you know what? Hosea named her Loruchama. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? But you know what it means? No mercy. What is a man thinking? No mercy. Well, you see, at that point, he wasn't sure what, you know, if that was really his child or not. And here, this man, wealthy, was piling on her every privilege, beautiful clothing, a beautiful home to live in, great food, uh, jewels, a lifestyle that was un unimaginable. Or it was imaginable back in then time, but it was a high lifestyle, and still she was kind of playing around. Well, they continued, and she disappeared. Was gone for quite a while, and then she came back home pregnant and delivered another child, a little boy this time. This baby he called Lo-Ami, not my people, not mine. So can you imagine going into the grocery store and saying, here's my son Jezreel, he's my boy. And this is, uh, hmm, no mercy. I don't know if he's mine or not. And then this is not mine, but I'm, I'm taking care of him anyway. Wow, can you hear the anger? And the sense of betrayal? that he experienced the same kind of thing that God experiences as we turn away. But God spoke to him again. And this is what he said in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. He says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one, not mine. I will say to those who called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. So from there, God said to Hosea, I want you to go find her and bring her back to yourself. And he said, go show your love to your wife again. 
though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So Hosea had a chance to demonstrate God's love in this way. He searched all over Damascus for her. He couldn't find her. He went here and there until he went to the slave market and found her there for sale. You know what he paid for her? 15 shekels and an omer and lethic of barley, about half price. She, was, she had fallen so far that she was not valuable to her handlers and those around her, and so they were willing to let her go for that rock-bottom price. And so as he did so, I imagine that he took his cloak and wrapped it around her, protecting her, and he said this. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another, so I will also be to you. So he's saying, I forgive you, I've covered you, I paid for you, I will bring you back into my home. Will you work with me? Will you walk with me? And then God speaks to Hosea how to translate that over a broader spectrum of people. He says this, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord. What, what Hosea said up there up earlier there, he says, you shall not play the whore or the prostitute. But he was saying it's a, it's a command as well as a promise. You shall not. This is not your future. There's more for you here. And he underlines that in the next verse there that I started to read. The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God. They shall return. This is a promise. This is the future that everyone who is broken and understands the depth of that brokenness can find with God here. I will give you a future and a hope. And then it says, they shall return and find and seek the Lord and David their king. That was Hosea's way of pointing to the son of David, Jesus Christ himself. And so the mercy that God has intended for all who believe was already being spoken of back there thousands of years before, well, a thousand years or so before Jesus came. And here's the promise. They shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. They shall come. That's a promise. Doesn't that, to me, I tell you what that does for me. That gives me rest and peace, knowing that he will fulfill his promise to me, that I will be drawn to him, that I can uh, know him. And so that's what he does. He calls us to himself. And I love this. It says, they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Through all the trials, they realize that he is good and they will experience it forever. That's the promise that God has given. So, he says that God says that he's called us out of darkness. That's what he does for us, out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
he's saying to each one of us, we're like Gomer. We've all pursued other ways to meet our needs. We've become slaves to things that debase us and we can't free ourselves from. What's worse is we get a little bit of glimpse of what's good and then we kind of pull back. Even in the midst of all of that, he calls us forward. So when God first offered the chance to be God's chosen people through Moses, he based it on what they would do. But here is a showing that he knew that that was not possible. So what did he do? He came to us. He, Jesus found us in the slave market here. He found us in our places of brokenness. He drew us to himself. He discovered where you had fallen, where I had fallen, and he still loved you. No matter what your unfaithfulness, no matter what your darkness, he loved us. He puts his cloak around us, as Hosea did to Gomer. He paid the price to restore us. It wasn't half price. It was the full price of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus. So if you are willing to lay hold of that, to believe that, to yield yourself to God, then this is true of you. Now you are his chosen people, his royal priests, his holy nation, his special possession. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A number of years ago, 19 years ago as a matter of fact, I was at Bush Stadium on a very special night. In fact, I was sitting next to Tom Ricks. We were on the front row right across from first base. And um, the crowd was all excited. Mark McGuire was at the plate. And with a swing of the bat, he broke Roger Maris's 61 record of 61 home runs, 62nd home run he hit. The place went... He went nuts. I mean, people were shouting and yelling, and, and just for 15 minutes, nobody stopped shouting. Every, all the play stopped, and we were just celebrating. Big banners fell down, you know, celebrating Mark McGuire in his 62nd home run. It was an awesome moment. And as I was in there, I was thinking, now, what would Jack Buck be saying on the radio? <laughs> you know, one time when McGuire hit this towering home run, he said, I'm going to put down the mic and salute that man. You know, that's what he was talking about. And other times he would say, looky there, looky there, looky there. So you see here, God has called us to be his special possession, his royal priest, his holy nation. He is saying to you and to all the world, looky there, looky there, looky there. So the sermon and sentence that I want you to take home with you and let it play in your heart throughout this coming year, even though God knows all your inner turmoil, He still delights in you. He delights in you enough to come near you and let you know of his love and grace just like Hosea did with Homer and covered her up. So he comes, he draws you to himself and says, here am I, here's my love. Let's pray.
God, our Father, thank you so much for the goodness that you have shown to us, the, the delight that you have taken in us, so much delight that you called us from where we weren't even considering you, and you drew us to yourself. I pray, Father, for each one of us here that we would sense that special drawing, that special love that you have provided for us through Jesus Christ, and that we would yield ourselves to the grace that you offered us through Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen. So now you have the privilege of sharing your journey from darkness to light to anyone around so God can say with that person, looky there, looky there, looky there.